series of seeing what God has done. We good, Cheryl? This one on? Great. And the PowerPoint? Thank you. Uh, what, seeing what Jesus sees. And we're good. Good to go. This is what we looked at last year and we want to continue the series through John's Gospel. So this morning looking at um, uh, a topic I'm sure we're all familiar with. And Jesus does it really good in this section of the chapter of John chapter 8. He gives us some great example, a great example and some great principles to live by. And I'm sure all of us have dealt with this, disagreeable people. You know, all of us have come across disagreeable people at one stage or another. And I was tossing over uh, a title for this sermon. And certainly Jesus had some, what did he see that day? It was a continued, uh, continuation on from what we looked at last week where he was, the uh, Pharisees and religious leaders were disagreeing with him. So we're continuing on in that part of the story. But they asked a question in their disagreement with him. They said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So I was tossing up, do I call this a message, who do you think you are? Or do I call it disagreeable people? And I think we'll cover both as we go. So where have we come from to this point in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39? In chapter 7 of John's Gospel, there was the festival, of the Feast of Booths, where he claimed to the crowd that he was the living water. And the Festival of Booths was what they used to celebrate God bringing people out of Egypt. And along the way, God provided for them the water that they needed. When he also called himself that he is the light of the world. And um, along the way on that journey out of Egypt, God provided a pillar of light during night, during the night and a pillar of cloud during the day. So all the way through uh, out of Egypt and in their wanderings, as recorded in Exodus, uh, God provided food, he watered them, he protected them, he guided them. And Jesus was saying, I am that same God. And that's what they took offence at. They took offence at that and said, and they were saying that if I am the, he was saying, if I am the light, if I am the living water, if I am the, uh, the true God, then you need to listen to what I say. I am the word of God. But they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't uh, agree with him and it caused some great anguish for them. Picking up on chapter 8, verse 31, and this is what it says when we get there. there. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Now, just the first part of that verse said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, these are the religious leaders, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Because in effect he was calling them slaves. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it, to the family, forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Verse 37, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Just think about what's happened up until now. They've recognised that he is someone from God, they've seen his miracles, 
But what he's focusing on is, you have no room for my word, is what he says to them. I am telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you do what you have heard, sorry, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does, Jesus said. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say? You belong to your father, the devil. Remember I talked about the verbal um, sword fight? That would be a bit of a thrust, wouldn't it? And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a father and the father of lies. Did Jesus know what he's talking about? Absolutely. You know what he was calling them? Sons of the devil. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So he's really just putting the knife in and twisting it a bit, isn't it? Trying to get them to sit up and take notice. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right? Well, where are you? Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. See death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now this is the religious leaders of the day talking to Jesus who over and over again has proved that he's the Messiah, over and over again has proved that he's from God by the miracles that he has done and the teachings that he's brought and they're saying, who do you think you are? That's pretty gutsy of them, isn't it? And I've lost my place. Oh, there we are. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He's talking about Abraham looking forward to the Messiah coming and the fulfilment of the promise that, that Abraham's descendants would bless the whole world. So Abraham was looking forward to that. 
their comeback was, you are not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, sorry, was born, I am. And that I am related back to the God who is the I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, I don't know how many times you've read that passage in the past, but uh, for me, uh, I have to admit that in the past I've sort of skipped over it because it was all about historical stuff. I really didn't get the, the, uh, the clear meaning from it, but there's some incredible lessons to learn out of this passage of how Jesus responded to those that disagreed with him and, and, the, and the position that he took in regarding to their uh, supposed authority as religious leaders of the church. Remember I said back in verse 31, it says there that those who believed would be the ones who accepted his word. Well, there's a lot of people in that group and many of the Jews who were religious leaders and like, they believed in him with that mental ascent. Oh yes, we believe you're a good teacher, we believe you do miracles, but it wasn't a life-changing belief that said, we believe you are the Messiah. So Jesus had to qualify what that belief meant that they would truly be his disciples if they truly believed what he had to say. If you believe, guess what? You need to obey the words that I'm telling you. And that was the thing that they, that was their sticking point, wasn't it? They weren't prepared to do what Jesus was telling them to do. They gave that mental assent that he was a teacher, that he was probably a prophet, prophet. But he says, you need to do what I tell you to do. And that's where they took offence. That's when they went on the defensive. In other words, they got offended by Jesus saying that they weren't actually free, that they were slaves, slaves to sin. And in trying to defend their position, they did something which is really interesting. They denied their own history as a nation. They denied what Abraham was on about, even though they claimed to be sons of Abraham. They said, so Jesus said, believe in my word, but they said, we've never been slaves. They were offended at Jesus' word because he was calling them sons of the devil. I don't know about you, but if somebody called me the son of the devil, I think I'd be offended too. And they certainly were, because they weren't living out what the scriptures had told them. They weren't living out and, uh, the example of Abraham's faith. They weren't putting that into practice in their own lives. They said, we haven't been enslaved by anyone. Really? Really? What were they just celebrating? They're celebrating the Feast of the feast of Booths. Why? Because they had been slaves in Egypt as a nation for 400 years. But we've never been slaves to anybody, was their argument. And yet God provided their freedom as Moses led them out of that slavery after 400 years. And they'd also been enslaved to the Babylonians, to the Persians, to the Greeks. And now, at this very time when Jesus was talking to them, they were enslaved to the Romans. So here were these religious leaders, supposedly knowledgeable about the things of God and the things of Israel's history, and they were using some very poor arguments in their disagreement with Jesus. Have you ever come across that? Have you ever had to stand up for something, uh, a principle or an issue or a truth, that other people in the room might not agree with? And have you ever had anybody say to you, who do you think you are by believing that or promoting that? I have. And that's exactly what Jesus was going through. He'd been there. He set the model. He set the example. 
They were offended at Jesus because he said they didn't know the truth. They were offended at his words. So what does it mean if you don't have the truth? It means that your worship of God is false worship. And that's what Jesus was saying. It means that your faith in God is false if you don't have the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to them. He was saying to them that their claim to be uh, ancestors of Abraham was null and void because they weren't living out what Abraham lived out. They weren't, didn't have the faith example and model that Abraham had. Paul uh, addresses this in Romans, Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. And he says, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, have you ever thought some of the things that Paul writes confusing? What he's saying is, just because you're a part of the Israeli race, you're not necessarily a true Israelite. Because a true Israelite believes in the one true God and worships the one true God and lives out what the one true God has to say. Again, in Galatians, Paul writes this, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe those who believe are children of Abraham. What was Abraham looking forward to? He was looking forward to the promised Messiah. He was looking forward to the, the uh, fulfilment of the promises that God had given him. But the religious leaders weren't of the day. They were looking to satisfy their own selfish needs rather than to uh, reflect the model that Abraham had given them. And later in, in verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul was speaking to both Jews and Gentiles and so he's reminding that you and I, if we have that faith in God that Abraham has, we are children of Abraham. We are children of the promise that God gave to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed. We are part of that if we have that faith that Abraham had in the, risen, in, in the coming Christ. They weren't happy with that. You know, you can see that uh, the blood's starting to boil with some of these religious leaders because Jesus is really hammering them about the truth and about their response to the truth and about their actions. Because he was saying, in fact, that it doesn't matter who your mum and dad are, you need to believe in Jesus. Gee, I think that's a message for today, isn't it? doesn't matter if you've been brought up in a Christian home, that's wonderful, praise God for that. But you, individually as a person, needs to believe in Jesus. It's been one of my issues in many of the places that I've lived where uh, people belong to a, a, a long, historical, established uh, denomination whose name I won't mention. And many of those people uh, baptised into that, into that church, baptised into that a form of religion, but never darken the doorstep of a church ever other than for uh, infant baptisms, for um, marriages and for funerals. And yet they claim to be Christians. And there's this faith right, if you like, that's an interesting way of saying it, there's this this right to faith because of what family they grew up in, what church or denomination they grew up in. It's not about that at all. Because certainly as they live out their lives, they don't, they don't live the life of Christ. They don't live the way that Christ wants them to live. I pray 
that God will bring a breakthrough into our nation. Because it's not just one denomination that that's like. There are many denominations around our country where people have a claimed birthright because they were baptised or born into a church but don't live their faith out. Somehow I pray that God will break through into that. They kept on claiming that they were offspring of Abraham. That was their right. Uh, Proverbs 26 verse 4, Jesus certainly uses this as an example when he's dealing with these people. He never answers the fool according to their folly. He never answers a fool according to, a fo- to their folly. Instead, look at what he says in verse 34 to 36. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a song, son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Some of us grew up in Christian families. We praise God for that. Some grew up in families that didn't recognise God and and many people have gone through troubled times in their lives. I can remember some of my mates that I grew up with at high school. They weren't believers and their normal week went something like this. Um, they'd go out to work during the week, they'd earn their money, they get their pay on a Friday, they get roaring drunk, uh, wake up Saturday morning with a terrible headache, say, we're never going to do that again, work through the week, come Friday night, go out, get roaring drunk, yeah, same cycle. And I believe that even though an unbeliever realises that they're doing something that's not healthy, perhaps something that's not right, that they are sinning, they can't do anything about their sin. They can't do anything about their sin. You know, I'm going to quit drinking next time. But as believers, we never sin, do we? Wrong. But we don't think like that. We know that if we do sin, if we are disobedient to God, then we are convicted by God's Spirit to do something about that sin, to confess it, to repent of it, to ask God to give us the strength not to do it again, whatever that sin might be, to live a life that is sanctified, certified for for God. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's painful, but for believers, I, I honestly believe that if we are truly repentant, truly confess, then we'll be moving toward becoming what Christ wants us to be. As believers, our attitude towards sin changes. We not only hate sin, but we hate the consequences of sin. And Jesus is the one that's giving us the freedom to live beyond that sin. Jesus is saying to them, you're not a son of Abraham, you're a slave to sin. And they don't like it. They don't like it. They don't like being called slaves. Slaves because they don't think they are. He goes on to say in verse 37, I know you are Abraham's descendants, so he wasn't denying their heritage or their lineage, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. If they were spiritual children of Abraham, they would believe like Abraham did. Abraham believed in the one true God. He believed in God and was credited to him as righteousness, the Bible says. Abraham had faith. He had faith in God. He had faith in a promised Saviour, the Messiah. Abraham was looking forward to the Messiah. He was looking forward to those promises being fulfilled. But he says to these men, you want to kill me. You're doing what your father does. You could really say you're doing what your true father does. And he likened 
them to sons of the devil. How do we know that he, he could see that? How do we know that that's true in Jesus' day and in our day too? If you know Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says there, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This was a living picture of that happening. Enmity between Christ and the one true God and sons of the devil. They were trying to put down, they were trying to, to, to uh, strike the heel of God's promised one. We need to take a lesson from this. We need to realise that the, the world in general is not neutral towards Jesus. Some people might say they don't have an opinion but I believe deep down they do because most people are selfish at heart. The world, the world system, you know, uh, you just got to look at the movies or TV or music or entertainment, uh, some of the philosophies that are taught around our world today, some of the elements in education, a lot of world views in our world are hostile towards Jesus Christ. Very little is new, neutral towards Jesus in our world today. Jesus tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he says this, Do not love the world, that's the world system, or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The bottom line, these guys want to kill Jesus. That's the bottom line. The reason they want to kill Jesus is because their father is the devil, even though they wouldn't admit to that. Their passions and desires show their spiritual descent. They were on the downhill plane. Perhaps once they did believe in the one true God but their actions were not showing it. A true faith is, is a following faith. It's a faith that is displayed by our desires, our lives, submitted to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, a tree is known by its fruit. A bad tree will be a bad fruit. A good tree will be bear good fruit. In verse 47, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The reason that you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Guess what? They felt cornered at that point. They felt cornered in the argument or in the discussion or in the verbal sword fight. So, I don't know if you've had a disagreeable or a conversation with a disagreeable person and when they start to feel that, oh, maybe this guy's right and I'm wrong, and they start to feel cornered, what do they do? Well, some of the ones that I've had discussions with start to um, get, not defensive, but offensive, and often verbalise in awful ways what they think of me. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. What happened to him? It says, where are we? Come on. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? What was the Samaritan, who were the Samaritans to the Jews? They were the scum of the earth. So to call somebody, a Jew, who was a Samaritan, they were actually calling him the worst. So they started to get into the uh, name-calling. And then they said this next thing, you are demon-possessed. So they tried to bring Jesus down. They tried to be in control. They tried to react in an angry way 
to what Jesus was saying to them as far as he was telling them the truth. In fact, by saying that he was demon-possessed, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of passages in Matthew chapter 12 and in Mark chapter 3 where the scribes and the Pharisees do this. What does it mean? It means attributing things of the devil to the work of the Holy Spirit. So what, what that means is that where God's Spirit is active but, but people say, no, that's just of the devil, or that's demonising, that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's unforgivable as I read it in the Bible. As I was reading this, I was thinking, how ridiculous is it for them to make this claim? How ridiculous. They've seen what Jesus had been doing. They'd seen the miracles that had taken place. They'd heard his teaching, which was God-honouring teaching. Why were they making these accusations? Because they hated him. They hated him because he pointed out the truth. They hardened their hearts against him. They totally rejected him. They rejected the truths of the scripture that related to him. Their hearts were so hardened that when he said, before Abraham was, I am, that just blew their stacks. Last straw, broke the camel's, straw, broke the camel's back. They don't fall on their faces and worship him as they should. They pick up stones and try to kill him. Who is Jesus? He's been saying it all along. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am the God of Moses. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Has he changed? He's still that today. And people are still rejecting him because they don't see him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. They don't hear his words. They don't choose to believe in him, which means believe and obey and to follow him. And often the people that disagree with me are people who are disagreeing with me based on the truths that I seek to share with them about Jesus. I want to finish briefly this morning with seven concepts about how to disagree with people without being disagreeable. I mean, we need to know how we can disagree with people but not be disagreeable, not take it on as a part of our nature. Uh, Dr Paul Fritz uh, uh, outlined these in a sermon and I've, I've summarised it. And I think these are really, really good points that we could put into practice. Because this is what he did when he was talking with those religious leaders. Even though he spoke really straight to them, he had these principles in action. Jesus knew how to state the facts in a way that was not offensive to believing hearts. What did he say right back in verse 31? If you believe, then you are truly my disciples. They gave that mental assent. They didn't believe to the point of wanting to obey. So he stated the facts in a way that was not offensive to believing hearts. Cynics, sceptics, accusers will always find something wrong even if they have to invent the problem to find it. Uh, I've been in situations where People have disagreed with my opinion or my uh, lifestyle and they've invented a problem to accuse me of something. So the Pharisees were looking for an excuse to cast the Lord Jesus in a false light. 
Why? So they could remain in their comfortable, sinful state. Jesus responded. He spoke in truth and he spoke in love. A second way which Jesus was able to stay in control and not lose self-control, Jesus knew how to respond to provocation. We need to learn how to control our anger or our fear or our defensive emotions when we're interacting with people that we disagree with. James, in his uh, letter in the New Testament, said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Ask God for the ability to listen before you speak. Who has a problem with that? Who is one of these people that sort of speaks first and then thinks, oh, I shouldn't have said that? We need to ask God. Give us the ability to listen and to really hear what the person is saying. It might even help if you take a few deep breaths before you say anything back to them. Because in that time, you're processing what's been said and you're processing your own reaction. Jesus knew that there were people out there who have selective seeing and hearing. You ever come across those people? I think uh, our media is very good at that. They do an interview, they only publish part of it, the part that, that serves their point of sensationalism rather than truth. And I think we've got to be careful, got to be careful that we, we don't listen in the same way or see in the same way we're only seeing part of the story. What would have happened if Jesus had got irritated or emotional or angry at what they were saying to him? Do you think it could have become more than a verbal sword fight? I think it could have. But it wasn't his style. We shouldn't add fuel to a fire that's already burning out of control. And sometimes we don't take the time to listen to how much a person is going through in their anger and their criticism. A lot of people have the attitude, you can't out-yell me, I'm going to out-yell you to get my point across. You ever come across those people? I have. The more you disagree with them, the louder they get trying to prove a point. We need to remember what James says about being quick to listen, slow to anger. Paul wrote in in Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, he says, Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He goes on to say, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus was putting that into practice when he addressed these people. We need to remember that Jesus is the God of peace. Whoop, did I have it there? Ah, Jesus knew who the um, secret, knew the secret selfish agenda that those people are blinded by the truth. I wonder, do we look at what's behind what people are saying to us? or behind the criticism they give to us. We need to respond in the way Jesus responded. He was direct. He was telling them the truth. He was calling them to action. But do you know he went to the cross for those very people that were criticising him and challenging him that day? He went to the cross for them, just as he's gone to the cross for all of us. Jesus is the God of peace. By knowing that we have God's peace in us, a peace that the world can't give, 
we are able to present that in our thinking, our emotions, our response, our behaviour to people. And if we respond peacefully to people's criticism and their disagreement, then we're really showing people what Jesus is like. The final, uh, not the final one, Jesus is also the God of law and order. He would not let the Pharisees get away with condemning him because of falsehood. He would not let them get away for condemning him because of their lies. He wanted them to know what the truth was and he wanted to know that he was innocent and yet he was still crucified. So for us, we need to stand up for our legal rights, for our human rights, for our civil rights, even though we know that we might be criticised, we might suffer the consequences of doing that. But if we know that God's in it, we can stand up for it. And finally this morning, Jesus is the God of love, truth and power. He wouldn't back down from his accusers who tried to portray him as something that he wasn't. He knew his identity. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the Christ. He knew he was the Son of God. We too can base our security in knowing Christ. We too can know that we know the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And that the world may see us as liars and they call us liars, but if our confidence and our truth and our identity is in Christ, then we can stand on that, just like Jesus did. I wonder, the next time you come across disagreeable, uh, a disagreement with people, will you choose the model that Jesus gives? He didn't hold back from telling the truth, but he did it in a way that he was confident of knowing, well, he knew the future, he knew it was coming, but he also knew the power of God in his life. I wonder if you'll take James's words on board and you'll take time to think, take a couple of deep breaths the next time you come across uh, people that you disagree with or disagree with you. Because we don't want to be disagreeable people. We want to be people that reflect who Jesus is. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the, the model that Jesus gives. We thank you for the way that he is the truth, the life. We thank you that he... Is, does know the end from the beginning and Lord we thank you that you went to the cross for each one of us Lord Jesus we thank you that we have a model to, uh, to use when we come across those people that disagree with us uh, Father we need to uh, care for them uh, pray for them, listen to them but not back down from what we know to be true Father we ask for your strength in this uh, because it happens fairly regularly we praise you that you'll You'll give us that strength and in fact you'll give us the words to say. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.